Well, we are in week eight of our sermon series. Over the summer, we have been seeking clarity on what does it mean that Jesus is coming back? What does the Bible tell us about when, where, why, how, etc.? And what we've discovered is that while the Bible doesn't give us a specific date or time, God does encourage us with this repeated theme of, it's okay, don't panic, trust me, I've got a plan. And what the Bible is also pretty clear about is how we should spend our time in the meanwhile. Jesus is clear that he expects more from us than behaving like squirrels before winter hibernation, hoarding hoarding away our nuts and then sitting back in our cozy little burrow knowing that we are good to go. No. In Matthew 25, the parables that Jesus tells of the ten virgins, the master who entrusts his gold with his tenants, the sheep and the goats, all of these praise those who live in active expectation. Those who use their time and resources purposefully to be people of justice, mercy, and sacrificial service today. To those who fed the hungry, took care of the stranger without a home, the sick and those in prison, Jesus says in Matthew, Come, you who will receive good things from my Father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. Today we are going to talk about what is promised to us. What is this inheritance? What is this kingdom prepared for us? Today we are going to talk about heaven. I definitely feel like I kind of won the sermon lottery because who doesn't love to preach about heaven? I mean, it's a pretty happy topic and everyone's imaginations can kind of run wild. Clearly, when you ask any one person what they think heaven will be like, you're going to get a bunch of different answers. In fact, I've always kind of wondered how heaven can be heaven for everyone. Because we live in a culture that very highly prioritizes people's individual ideas and preferences. And so how can what is perfect for one person be perfect for another? For instance, if you are a cat lover, you might imagine cats everywhere. Cute kitties on countertops gleefully knocking things off. Cute kitties kind of generally running the show. But if you're a dog lover, mm, you probably prefer endless fetch and walks. That's more your speed. Maybe you love math. My grandfather loves math, and his version of heaven would be an unending Sudoku puzzle. I would hate that. That would be unending torture, not heaven. Or what about country music and rap music? How can those things coexist? I don't know. Maybe we will each have our own personal parcel of heaven full of all of our favorite things. Or maybe we just won't care what's there because we're going to be so blown away by pearly gates, Angels playing harps, hanging out with St. Peter, clouds, I don't know. But regardless of what we imagine will be in heaven, one prevailing idea that we tend to share is that heaven is a place separate from earth. When we die, we imagine our souls floating up, it's always up, to a place that is perfect, entirely different from our lives on earth. This perfect place is the place that we go to be with God forever because it's God's home. And clearly we got these ideas from somewhere, all of them, clouds, harps, all of it. And Revelation 21 contains a description that we might find helpful today. The book of Revelation was written by John, who near the end of his life was given a vision from God of what was to come. John says that in his vision... He took me in a spirit-inspired trance to a great high mountain 
And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. The city had God's glory. Its brilliance was like a priceless jewel, like jasper that was as clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. By the gates were 12 angels. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. The city wall had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the Lamb's 12 apostles. Hmm, 12, lots of them. The angel who spoke to me had a gold measuring rod with which to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. Now the city was laid out like a square. Its length was the same as its width. Um, He measured the city with the rod, and it was 1,500 miles. Its length and width were equal. He also measured the thickness of its wall. It was 216 feet thick as a person, or rather an angel, measures things. The wall was built of jasper, and the city was pure gold like pure glass. The city wall's foundations were decorated with every kind of jewel. The first foundation was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third was chalcedony, and the fourth was emerald. The fifth was sardonyx, then carnelian, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysophase, jacinth, and amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, and each one of them was made from one single pearl. That's a very big oyster. (laughs) And the city's main gate was pure gold, as transparent as glass. Well, there we have it. Heaven. That's a pretty good description. Lots of gates, lots of angels, lots of jewels, etc. Kind of reads like a map or a blueprint. It's actually not unlike the instruction manuals in our Old Testament... In fact, there are whole chapters in our Old Testament that sound a lot like this. They are devoted to the very specific details of how to build a temple, the temple of God. Every measurement and material is meticulously laid out for God's people, just like this. To us, unfortunately, the modern reader, it's a little like a set of instructions for Ikea furniture. It's supposedly step-by-step, but at the end, you're left a little bit confused, wondering why it doesn't look like the picture. But that is actually the point of this Revelation passage. It's not supposed to make sense. Unlike the detailed construction plans in Genesis and Exodus, etc., this passage is meant to make our minds and imaginations explode with symbolism. All the fancy materials listed here just illustrate that heaven will be a place of purity, perfection, and beauty, able to stand for eternity. It tells us that our future home will defy description. And all those multiples of 12 and its unmeasurable size tell all those listening, especially the Jews in the audience, that heaven will have space for all of God's people from the very beginning of time. But wait, there's more. In what heaven calls the new heaven and new earth, we learn that the grandest glory of this place is that God does not dwell in a temple. God's dwelling is with his people. John says, I didn't see a temple in the city because its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning, crying, or pain anymore, 
for the former things have passed away. And suddenly all my questions about cats or dogs, country or rap, what heaven will look like, it all kind of pales in comparison to such a description. No more death, grief, crying or pain. We who live in a broken, hurting world, that is our hope amidst the chaos. Our hearts can sing today, it is well with my soul because Jesus defeated death. But even more importantly, it is God's eternal presence with us that will ultimately heal the hurts of our hearts and our world. The best part of heaven, if that's even possible, is that God will once again dwell or make his home with us, no longer forced to live apart because of sin. This reunion of humanity, God, and our two respective homes is what God has been working towards since the creation of the world. We can actually trace this theme of presence and dwelling throughout our entire Bibles. Chapter 1, the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This was the time when heaven and earth overlapped as God dwelled in the midst of humanity, physically walking alongside us in the garden. This was the time when everything was perfect. Our relationship with the earth, with each other, and God. Evil and pain did not exist. But humanity listened when the deceiver asked, are you sure God is actually good? This caused them to distrust God's character and doubt their relationship with him. They chose to do things their own way when they ate the fruit God told them would be harmful, and we all reaped the consequences. We were separated from God. There was distance put in our perfect relationship. The sin and injustice of our world cannot coexist in the same space with God's goodness and justice, so we had to leave the garden, heaven, and earth. Chapter 2, Temples. The Old Testament is the story of God's people learning to live in this new world and learning to live, unfortunately, in this new version of their relationship with God. In these days, the only way they could spend time with God was to be in the tabernacle or temple. And that's why so much care, attention, and detail is given to how these should be built, used, even how they were decorated. They were sacred spaces, like Eden, where heaven and earth once again overlapped because God was present. But the separation still existed. The blood of animal sacrifice was required to cover sin and make anyone clean enough to enter God's presence. And even then, a very physical barrier, a giant heavy curtain, separated God's dwelling from only the priests who could only enter under the most specific circumstances. But, chapter 3, Jesus. God didn't want this. God did not want to be separated from his people. So he sent Jesus, who, one of Jesus' many names, means Emmanuel, God with us. Because he was God and came and lived here on earth, once again walking alongside us like in the Garden of Eden, Jesus became the temple. He became the overlap between heaven and earth. 
And because of his death becoming the sacrifice to cover our sin, we become clean enough to be in God's presence. Any of the confirmation students can tell you that one of my favorite moments in the Bible is at the exact moment that Jesus dies in our place, that giant heavy curtain that separated the place of God's presence from us is torn into eliminating all barriers between us and God. How exciting is that? We are no longer separated from God. That work was finished with the dying breath of Jesus and the resurrection three days later. But, sadly, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that this world has not yet been redeemed. We are surrounded daily by pain, disease, hurt, and death to ourselves, others, and the world around us. These are things that break God's heart as well as ours. They are things that God never intended for us. But like his long game plan to redeem us, God has a plan to redeem all of creation as well. I'm preaching, so you know there has to be a hiking story. But a few years ago, I was backpacking with some friends in northern New Mexico, and we came across a swatch of forest that had been devastated by a forest fire. Northern girl that I am, I had never seen anything like it. The ground was still ash. The trees were scorched black from trunk to tips. The trees were actually so bare you could see all the way through this burn section to where the greenery picked up again on the other side. We all felt like we had to be really quiet as we hiked through this section, just feeling the pain and sadness of what had been lost here. And suddenly, as we were hiking, I heard this trickle of water that sounded really out of place amidst the barrenness. And it took some searching, but I finally found it was coming from inside a tree that had been hollowed out by the fire. And I followed the water path down, the blackened, broken trunk, to find a tiny, bright green sapling growing inside. That image is burned in my brain. That is our hope for heaven. Perhaps it is out of relief or self-preservation that we imagine when Jesus returns that he will scrap the original and give us earth 2.0. We may be eager to escape this earth and its cares and get a clean start, but as always, God's plan is so much more beautiful than that. God does not enjoy destruction. One of the things that God enjoys the most is seeing all things come to fulfill their original design. And he declared the original design for this earth as good. God gave the only two humans in Eden responsibility to take care of his creation, the place where he dwells and works with them. If God was going to start over and scrap the earth, why would he make us caretakers? Why would he create something that reflects his tremendous purpose and care down to the smallest detail, if that were so? John's vision in Revelation actually parallels the creation narrative in Genesis. In Genesis, the son is created. Revelation, the son is not needed. Satan is victorious. Satan is defeated. People hide from God People are invited to live with God forever. The earth is cursed. The earth is made new. The list goes on. 
Revelation is actually a creation story. Heaven is not separate from this earth. Heaven is already coming back here. Now, I have to admit that there are moments where the fact that God is again coming to dwell with me makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not always sure that I want that kind of proximity with God. The idea of Jesus dwelling where I do, uh, witnessing the pile of laundry that hasn't made it past the couch, gives me pause. Maybe I hesitate to sit down with God for a real conversation in prayer or with his word because I'm worried that my pride might be revealed or that he's going to ask something of me that I really don't want to do. Any healthy relationship requires vulnerability, but sometimes it almost seems that I prefer a little bit of distance between myself and God. And I wonder if I'm the only one who has ever felt that way. But fear of his presence and shame was never what God intended. In Eden, there was only perfect relationship. There was no fear. But when humans grasped for control, that perfect communion was the first thing we lost. They immediately tried to hide from God. Why are you hiding from me? And why are you wearing those bushes? God asked Adam and Eve. Well, they said, we heard you in the garden and we were afraid. We realized we were naked and we were ashamed. God says, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were vulnerable and needed to be ashamed? Who told you you needed a barrier to protect yourself from me? Their perfect relationship was broken by a lie. A lie about who God is and who we were created to be. But now that the separation has been overcome, the way has been paved for us to accept his invitation as sheep to come, to set aside the distractions and excuses we hide behind and spend time sitting in his presence, rediscovering his heart, getting to know him better. We can actually practice the presence of God. It is an act of bringing heaven to earth when we learn to first recognize and then celebrate the presence of God in our everyday lives, the good, the bad, and the mundane. If you have ever been asked the question, how have you seen God today and come up short, know that the reality is that he is here. With creation in the process of redemption, we can find him close by, not only in our own lives, but in others, in nature, and in some of the most broken situations on earth. The kingdom of heaven is near. We are the redeemed living in a world in the process of being redeemed. As caretakers, then, how shall we live? From his very first day in ministry, Jesus often taught what it looked like to value and be about the things of heaven. His most famous sermon begins with this list. Happy are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve. Happy are people who are humble. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Happy are people who show mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts. Happy are people who make peace. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you, 
and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. These are pretty radical countercultural ideas to us today. Easy to quote, I'm sure this is familiar to many, but how hard is this to actually choose every day? The persecution, grief, choosing peace, humility, and righteousness, these are things that even the best of us want to push back against. Because even when we don't mean to, we tend to prioritize appearance, status, convenience, and ease. All things that stand in direct contradiction to the way that Jesus calls us to live. But this, this is the way God is redeeming our world. Matthew 25 says that this is the kingdom that was made for us since the creation of the world. This is what it looks like when we fulfill our original design. This is what it looks like when heaven comes to earth today. That process began with Jesus. Jesus, who spent his time with sinners, bringing pockets of heaven into the broken places and hearts of earth. And it continues with us. As Pastor Chris said last week, we don't have to become the salt or light of the world. We already are. Everywhere that we are, everywhere that we embody the values of God's heart, the kingdom of heaven advances. That is both a very exciting privilege and a very urgent responsibility. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. We know that heaven is coming here, but our imaginations are still free to run wild with the possibilities of what this redeemed earth and humanity will look like. We don't know if it's pearls or gold or clouds, but we do know its characteristics and qualities. New us, no more death or pain, and a new perfect experience of God's presence. The reunion of heaven and earth, of God and his people, is what the whole story of our Bible is all about. Come, you who will receive good things from my Father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. The invitation we are given is to come. Come dwell, come live, come be in God's presence for eternity. The promise and hope we have is that God has already redeemed us and is redeeming this world. The kingdom of heaven is near. Let's pray. Father, it is mind-blowing that you wanted to be with us so badly that you literally moved heaven and earth to make relationship with you possible. May that truth today overwhelm us, and may that incredible love saturate all the fearful, anxious, and vulnerable cracks in our hearts. Thank you for the invitation to come and dwell with you. Thank you for the promise and hope we have that the brokenness in and around us will not have the final word. May we live like Jesus taught. May we be a part of the redemption of this world. Amen.